The views and opinions expressed throughout the broadcast day on Redwood Community Radio are those of the speakers and not necessarily those of the station staff or underwriters. So, have pity for us all, or I mean have patience for us all, and chime in with what you want to say. So, thank you all so much for listening to us, and it's time for Ask Your Herb Doctor. Welcome to this month's Ask Your Rep Doctor. My name's Andrew Murray. My name's Sarah Johannesson Murray. Can we just get the uh, mic turned up for me? Thank you. Okay, great. Uh, so, uh, welcome to KMUD Garville 91.1 FM. Uh, it's the third Friday of the month, and every third Friday of the month we run the program Ask Your Rep Doctor, where we uh, typically have Dr. Pete on the show, and uh, he's become a stalwart here for the last. Oh, gosh, 10 years or more. Um, for the last, oh, I don't know, five or six months, the uh, COVID crisis uh, has certainly been on the front burner. Um, we've been discussing um, some of the facts surrounding the do's and don'ts of protocols, the approach to it, uh, what it means to the general population. Uh, and um, I guess there's been quite a bit of uh, push and pull in terms of uh, individuals' comments about um, certain things like mask wearing, um, sanitization, uh, and the effectiveness of some of the uh, strategies uh, documented to um, be preventive and or compromising uh, to our uh, security or our individuality uh, from a lockdown perspective. Uh, that's sort of a big economic uh, bowl of wax. But anyway, so we're just going to, this evening, we're going to be outlining some of the uh, therapeutic um, advances and some of the strategies to mitigate any potential coronavirus uh, infection. So you're listening to Ask Your Rep, Dr. Gub, KMUD Garberville, 91.1 FM, from 7.30 until the end of the show. Uh, you're invited to call in with any questions, either surrounding tonight's subject of the strategies uh, and herbs and other compounds uh, used to mitigate the inflammation associated with severe infection. Uh, the number, if you live in the area or out of the area, it's the 707 number. So just dial 707-923-3911. So once again, we're very pleased, very proud to have Dr. Pete joining with us on the show to share his expertise and his wisdom and uh, let's just get straight into it. Are you there, Dr. Pete? Yes, hi. Hi, Dr. Pete. Thanks so much for coming again. I uh, appreciate your time. Uh, for those people, as always, who perhaps have never listened to you or have just heard you for the first time, uh, would you just outline your academic and professional background so people can get a feel for where you are and where you're coming from? Um, I, I, um, 
studied and worked in the humanities for the first 10 years or so after college. Then I went back to school in biology for a Ph.D. at University of Oregon, 1972. And since then have been working on the way the humanities culture in general interact with science, and that continues to be very interesting, that science is heavily influenced by the general background culture. Television, newspapers, as well as medical journals have a strong influence on the way science is practiced. Yeah, for sure. It's uh, it's a little bit of a uh, exercise in, gosh, I want to say manipulation, but it always sounds so subversive to mention those kind of words like uh, coercion or manipulation or, um, yeah, control. Uh, but obviously the uh, media, whether it's written media uh, or spoken audiovisual media, uh, is a very powerful weapon in, in terms of shaping people's consciousness about certain subjects. And I know that is a pretty active uh, exercise uh, by some entities to use certain language to mold our beliefs around certain things. I know you've put, brought up many, many times about uh, the dogmas or the repeated dogma and or straight out lies through poor research that's continually propagated and fed into the mainstream and how people, you know, for the fish oil uh, example, that you know, for years and years and years, and it still is, I'm sure now, that uh, fish oil is still perceived as being helpful and um, there's overwhelming evidence to show that it's not um, the same really with um, sugar even and salt and we've mentioned those in previous um, uh, broadcasts so Dr. Pete I think um, what I wanted to do was run through some of the therapeutics um, and just wanted to um, kind of break them down in terms of their uh, cellular activity and the mechanisms by which um, they are acting physiologically because there's certainly a quite a wide range of um, products that have the effects we're looking for. And I think the main thrust of uh, what we're discussing is anti-inflammatories, antihistamines, um, and the anti-inflammatories working against uh, the immune-modulated or immune-stimulated cytokines, etc., that are brought into play uh, by viral attack and bacterial attack and, uh, you know, platelet uh, aggregation factors and other components of the immune system that kind of go awry uh, when they meet uh, invaders. So... Yes, I think it's interesting to note, though, and not downplaying it at all, because obviously if anybody's lost a loved one through COVID, uh, it's extremely heartbreaking and it's a real a real shame. Um, but of the small percentage of the population that have been exposed uh, to the COVID-19 virus, an even smaller number have actually died from it. And in every case, it's the airways difficulty that's been the reason. Uh, many first-hand ER doctor reports mirrored the video report that we talked about in March and April of this year by Kyle Cameron Siddell, uh, the ER doctor from Brooklyn, New York, uh, who is treating critical care patients suffering from the cytokine storm, uh, inflammatory events of COVID infection, and a small subset of patients focused on the damage induced by the ventilators themselves. And we mentioned the ventilator damage. Um, the ventilators were used to perfuse the lungs of patients with low oxygen saturation uh, who were being treated. And he said that the disease resembled way more uh, high-altitude sickness in its presentation, uh, much more so than a viral pneumonia, which is what they thought they were treating initially. 
that that recognition uh, leads to uh, the idea, uh, which is backed by a lot of facts, uh, that too much oxygen (laughs) is creating the inflammation, making it worse instead of better. Yeah, interesting. I know you've always said that the CO2 is a beneficial gas and that oxygen really, as much as it's counterintuitive, should be considered more of a poison because of its... And Kyle uh, Seidel uh, mentioned that his patients were very low in CO2 and that, that's exactly what happens in mountain sickness or, or in ventilation uh, sickness. Too, too much oxygen lowers your CO2. That creates a very powerful systemic inflammatory condition. So would it have been better if they gave them a proper mixture of carbon dioxide and oxygen instead of just pure oxygen? Uh, uh, Yeah, uh, and those products are available uh, already mixed, uh, 5% CO2 and 95% uh, oxygen or uh, slightly varying percentages. So if you were having difficulty breathing and you felt some relief from... Uh, breathing in some passive oxygen, would you use that mixture of 95% oxygen, 5% CO2? Definitely. Uh, some of the uh, mountain high-altitude studies, uh, they were putting the people who were uh, collapsing with mountain sickness, putting them in a big uh, plastic or rubberized bag and zipping it shut, uh, letting them breathe the, the relatively pure oxygen, and it was helping, but someone noticed that the plastic bag was accumulating a high level of CO2 right. by their breathing. And, and so they tried, instead of putting them in an oxygen bag, giving them a CO2 supplement. And that worked very effectively. And it works in hospitals, too, to ventilate people with a supplement of around 5% of CO2. Okay, so uh, looking looking then at inflammation, uh, that seems to be the overriding mechanism uh, of this form of acute respiratory distress syndrome, uh, as it's known as. Um, and it's the mucus buildup from the inflammation, uh, which I think is certainly something that needs addressing. And I think from the perspective of uh, certain chemical compounds as well as uh, some well-known antihistamines from the herb world, uh, these will be things that we want to discuss and let people know about um, that are freely available. None of these are prescriptions as far as I know. Um, but the anti, anti-histamine, anti-mucolytic uh, type of um, benefit from some of these compounds is what I want to first explore with you. Um, there are many, many compounds that have been discovered very early on in the treatment of respiratory disease from, respiratory disease from the initial uh, pneumonias that were very commonplace in the winters, especially in places like the north, northern Europe. Um, and then obviously with the uh, emergence of uh, things like uh, TB and those other lung pathologies, um, mucus was certainly um, well known as a compounding problem upon which a uh, viral condition could, could become a bacterial uh, secondary infection. And obviously with the mucus as a kind of breeding ground, uh, from bacterial infection uh, and also re- reducing the uh, capacity of oxygen diffusion, which I think is the important thing. And in the terms of um, when patients are lying uh, in, in a hospital situation with oxygen, uh, whenever 
they've tried to withdraw the oxygen from these people. And I know Kyle mentioned this, that um, they were extremely uh, anxious and um, distressed uh, when this happened, obviously because they're getting a feeling of total suffocation, that the uh, mucus buildup in the lungs is something that if we can reduce this quite easily with herbs and other substances that work as agents to either break down the bonds between the mucus uh, or uh, cause uh, an excessive uh, watery secretion to thin the mucus. Uh, these are definitely strategies I know we learned when we were studying herbal medicine as a part and parcel of uh, respiratory tr the treatment of respiratory disease. So I, you had uh, mentioned, and I found that this compound, um, bromhexine, uh, actually comes from a Ayurvedic plant uh, named Adhota Vasica. And so, um, Dr. Pete, do you know you, do you know much more about Adhota's use and uh, or, or the extract that they've produced from it, the, the bromhexine? It has been compared uh, with uh, guaifenesin as a mucolytic, and I think it was about twice as effective at uh, breaking down and thinning uh, viscous mucus. And the, um, the mucus normally functions as a barrier against irritants and infective things. But uh, when the inflammation of the tissue that's producing it becomes extreme, the um, osmolarity of the tissue increases and dehydrates and concentrates and makes the mucus much more viscous. One of the functions of the mucus, not only to bind toxins from the outside, but it binds and supposedly carries away things like histamine produced by the inflamed tissue. But if the inflammation leads to dehydrating the mucus, it becomes more and more dense, accumulates the histamine that that should be lost to the environment and becomes itself a very powerful, uh, not only irritant, but a, a contraction-promoting uh, agent, causing constriction of the, the small tubes uh, of the breathing system. Uh, and uh, that not only uh, causes a, a mechanical barrier to uh, breathing, but the... Uh, Stress and inflammation to the lungs acts uh, systemically on the body because the lungs are, uh, for many chemicals, they uh, rival the liver as a detoxifying mm -hmm. system. Uh, and uh, one of the uh, uh, side effects or, or effects of the uh, coronavirus uh, has been known for many years, but uh, it has been reemphasized recently that uh, the uh, infected people uh, tend to have a, a higher uh, a serotonin. Uh, the lungs are not detoxifying the, the serotonin. That leads to uh, clotting uh, so that uh, traditionally uh, influenza uh, was known uh, to cause uh, uh, strokes and other uh, blood clotting uh, problems uh, that is currently being recognized, but uh, that uh, r really largely derives uh, from the fact that irritated lungs don't detoxify 
the histamine and serotonin, uh, and the serotonin activates the clotting system. Hmm. Interesting, because I was just going to get into some herbs in a minute that have a cut. Uh, one of them, uh, the platelet activation factor blocking agents, and so you mentioned that the platelets are in the clotting um, forms or the kind of sequelae uh, of pneumonia or influenza or disease. Uh, clots are an issue, then you mentioned there was stroke being uh, one of them from uh, from blood clot. So things like ginkgo and feverfew would all be PATH, we call it blockers of PATH, platelet aggregation factor. Yeah, potential. So... Um, in terms of uh, in terms of those agents then that would have um, uh, mucolytic, yeah, we talked about um, breaking uh, breaking the bonds uh, between um, the bonds of the, that make up the mucus themselves to lyse them and to um, make the mucus thinner by producing more watery secretions, and then the kind of mucociliary escalator, which is something uh, I remember from. <laughs> I remember those from videos as a small small child at school watching the uh, dangerous effects of smoking and the mucociliary escalator was one of those things they showed little hairs wafting from the lungs up and out through the uh, trachea uh, to wave uh, foreign objects with dust or whatever particles of bacteria or uh, other other things that shouldn't be there up out of the uh, airways and so smoking was one of those things obviously that uh, destroys those mucus uh, ciliary escalator hairs um, so those things that improve either the breakdown uh, of the mucus so it's not as tenacious and thick or those things that s- cause a reflex action in the gut and we'll get onto that where the gut lung axis works so that things getting into the gut, stimulating the gut, can actually have a reflex action on the lungs to produce an expectoration. They're called reflex uh, expectorants. And then um, uh, other agents that um, actually improve the mucociliary escalator. So I think I wanted to start with something that probably most people who are at all interested in herbs uh, have probably heard about. It's been, I think it's probably a fairly good uh, sales in the market is quercetin. Um, are you familiar with quercetin at all or...? Oh, oh, yeah, that, that's one of the reasons I recommend uh, uh, fruits, uh, especially citrus fruits. Yeah, there you go. All right. And uh, it works uh, with the sugar content of, of fruits as well as uh, other anti-inflammatory things. Uh, the sugar itself can be mucolytic. Okay, because the sugar itself, then, uh, is it, will it have any kind of uh, osmotic effect? Or is that... Um, uh, anti-inflammatory. Just anti-inflammatory. It, it quiets the uh, inflammation uh, in a variety of ways. Uh, lowers the stress hormones. And isn't that how cortisol shots work when you have lung disease and they're giving people cortisone? Uh, yeah, it raises your your uh, serum glucose. All right. So quercetin then is a is a compound as you mentioned um, found in fruits, um, especially citrus fruits, and. Um, there are other things that I more associate with the anthocyanins and the pigments uh, in dark berries, but they, uh, lots of dark berries are implicated have fairly high levels of quercetin and things uh, from be- um, blackberries and blueberries and bilberries uh, fairly high in quercetin. Uh, and then we also mentioned ginkgo, which has a platelet aggregation factor blocking compound. Well, you forgot, did you forget nettle? Nettle leaf well, is no, very high in quercetin. Yeah, I know. I know. We're just going through the, the um, berries 
but yeah, nettle leaf obviously is one of those things. And again, nettle leaf has been used in allergy and allergy and histamine, and that we'll get onto that in a little bit because um, another tack uh, of approaching the inflammatory pathway and uh, calming it is an antihistamine uh, approach. So. You're listening to Ask Your Herb Doctor, KMUD Garberville, 91.1 FM, from 7.30 until the end of the show at 8 o'clock. You're invited to call in with questions related or unrelated to this month's uh, discussion on the anti-inflammatory agents that can be used to suppress inflammation, the main driving force of the real problems with people that contract COVID and get into respiratory difficulty. Uh, The number is 707-923-3911. So from 7.30 till the end of the show, um, Dr. Pete will be there and available to answer questions uh, and or if other questions need to be asked that are outside of tonight's scope, uh, that's probably fine too. So getting on to expectorants then um, as a method uh, by which respiratory disease, respiratory disease period can be uh, approached, whether it's bacterial or viral, uh, it doesn't really matter, or indeed if it's an allergic um, type of um, response, that expectorants are things that, as we've mentioned, uh, either cause the increase uh, of thin watery production uh, in the cells, the mucous cells in the lungs, uh, to raise this kind of uh, liquid level to be wafted up by the mucociliary escalator up and out of the trachea so it can be um, relieved that the, the kind of diffusion can happen more easily in the lungs between CO2 and oxygen. And I wanted to mention elecampane. Now, elecampane is a, a, a fairly tall perennial herb. Uh, it's in the compositae and um, contains a volatile oil and a fixed oil and it's long been used as a what they call a warming expectorant. Uh, and it's actually part of our formula, our new formula. I'm not trying to sell anything here, but it's actually within our you know, time licorice and other campaign syrup. Um, and that brings me to licorice. Now, licorice is uh, one of those herbs that I've read quite a lot of um, PubMed articles and other articles uh, online that are by the thousands now concerning COVID and whether it's Chinese medicinal herbs or it's Native American herbs or Ayurvedic herbs or, you know, just looking at the medicinal herb arsenal in general, there's lots of published research now and licorice comes up time and time again. Uh, We've always used, um, well, not always used, but licorice. I I look at licorice mainly uh, for things like gastric ulcers uh, as a good uh, soothing kind of demulsant. Um, but licorice actually has quite a bit of antiviral activity, and um, I'd never really think about licorice as an antiviral. Um, they, most of the research that's done on it has looked at uh, things like the compounds called uh, glycyrrhizin and uh, glyceretic acid. And glycyrrhizin itself as a compound breaks down uh, into glycerotenic acid in the, di- in the digestive tract. And both glycyrrhizin and glycerotenic acid exhibit uh, a mineralocorticoid aldosterone-like action on the body. And um, I wanted to ask you, Dr. Peter, if you could just go through this. I know we have a couple of callers on the line. Hopefully they can sit tight for a few minutes here uh, before we get to the 7.30. Um, but, Dr. Peter, I'd like you, because I know you've, you've got this, uh, you have this very, I won't say simplified because it's not at all simple, but a very simplistic mechanism by which um, people that are listening can understand the... I want to call it a controversy, really, because um, as practitioners of herbal medicine, we were always anti-steroids, okay? I mean, people came to see us with eczema uh, or psoriasis, 
and they'd been on steroids, um, they were either no longer getting response from it or um, the you know that they'd been on steroids for so long they were getting other problems, whether it be asthma or, or other situations revolving around a kind of uh, immune dysregulation. But I, I saw this, um, and I know you've mentioned this before, and the frame, Framingham study, but this may be a different Framingham study, uh, showing that elevated aldosterone uh, was positively associated with the instance of new onset hypertension or high blood pressure, which is something that we were taught about uh, for some individuals using licorice in large quantities. Uh, so how do, how do you see the um, the line, as it were, distinguishing the positive steroidal effects from the negative effects? Um, the um, tissues that are most involved in inflammation happen to have taste receptors uh, and uh, bitter herbs and sweet things like licorice uh, have signaling effects uh, to um, activate uh, some of the anti-inflammatory mechanisms. Uh, I think that's uh, how um, licorice, uh, among other herbs, uh, can act on our uh, system to, to inhibit uh, histamine and, and serotonin, for example. Uh, but in large amounts uh, that increase uh, the tendency towards hypertension, uh, the, the uh, steroid is uh, inhibiting an enzyme that uh, prevents the accumulation of too much mi uh, mineral corticoid, uh, uh, such as aldosterone. And al aldosterone itself is a major uh, promoter of degenerative inflammation. Uh, so uh, that that's one of the reasons that I think uh, uh, progesterone is a better anti-inflammatory, uh, except maybe for uh, one or two days of, of acute uh, lung inflammation. Uh, dexamethasone is probably a, a quicker acting thing. But for prolonged use, progesterone is not only supporting the cortisol-like anti-inflammatory effects, but it has a powerful anti-aldosterone effect, preventing the increase of blood pressure from excessive accumulation of sodium and blocking all of those inflammatory degenerative fibrosis-producing effects of aldosterone. So I think it's something like licorice, the thyme and licorice syrup that we just produced, is not something we'd want people to be on at very high doses for a long period of time. But uh, yeah, if in an acute situation for you know a short period of time to get over your chest infection, you're saying that that amount of licorice in there is is anti-inflammatory enough to help, which is what we obviously see with our clients. Um, yeah, uh, I, I think uh, one of the effects of, of just uh, sugary things like orange juice uh, is that it, too, activates those uh, sugar taste receptors. Uh, it isn't sugar in licorice, but it uh, is uh, something that activates the sweet sensors. Yes, 
Okay, I guess we'll hold it there. I want That's why the children like it so much. <laughs> I'm going to ask you another question about dexamethasone and the steroidal anti-inflammatories from a sugar perspective after the calls, but let me try to remember that as uh, we take these first uh, couple of callers and see where we're going with this. Caller, you're on the air. Uh, where are you from? Yeah. And what's your question? Uh, I believe in the herbs, and I've been studying in myself. You know, as I come to the other environment in medicine, that's more white lab medicines that a few of them don't work in my system because I know more about the herbs, what they can do. And in this pandemic, with this inflammation that I found golden Echinacea golden seal, a thousand milligrams, and you can buy that through a computer. But uh, I found the best anti-inflammatory after diclofenac potassium, and uh, I've been using echinacea golden seal for many different reasons in my life and past years when I was in school, in college, in San Francisco, the bad weather, a lot of virus. And I start using echinacea and golden seal so I can be up in the morning with the energy real early to be 6 a.m. in math class. Yes, echinacea golden seal is very, very good to help with the mucus production of your mucous membranes, helps regulate normal mucus production. And echinacea is also very anti-inflammatory for the immune system. Okay, well, let's take this next caller um, and see where we're going with this next caller. Caller, you're on the air. Where are you from and where's your, what's your question? Hi, um, I'm from Fort Bragg, and I know some of my friends are listening to me, and I hope my oldest son isn't <laughs> because uh, I don't think he realizes uh, the health problems that I'm incurring now, because I, I used to be called the bungling private eye. I did help law enforcement when I could, and I also was uh, almost murdered three times. My nose has been broken five times, two times by me by accident when I was working, and three times, uh, I can't even begin to tell you. Oh, wow. Now I've got a big polyp. What? Like I, in my <laughs> the right nostril and my sinuses from moving into an apartment seven years ago, is, they are so infected all the mm-hmm. way up into my head mm-hmm. that I get headaches and all this stuff comes out. This is gross over the phone mm-hmm. to tell you, but it comes out in like ropes, strings yeah. of yeah, mucus, mucus yeah. stuff. And sometimes it's colored yeah. like cream mm-hmm. and white or clean cream and clear. Golden seal would be very good for you. Golden seal is a great I've I've been doing that, but I can't take licorice. I've got fibromyalgia also that and the carpet where I'm at is 33 years old. It's got mold and bacteria in it and I was told that I've got pandemic sinusitis along with my fibromyalgia and the C1C2 C1C2 in my neck L5 L4, L5, and S1 in my low back, and one disc in the middle of my back in degenerative disc disease. I don't know what to do for all this, but mostly my sinuses, um, they've got me on pregab, regabalin, mm-hmm. or Lyrica, 
you know, instead of Lyrica because that was so expensive. All right. I want to try and keep on uh, keep on focus here with uh, your okay. question, ma'am, and uh, understand that probably a sinus uh, infection type uh, issue uh. is your most important thing. So for those for those things. For sinus infections, uh, we've definitely had some very, very good feedback over the time we've been using it. Uh, is a formula that we produce which is um, based on well-known uh, sinus herbs, obviously uh, the main one, uh, golden seal. Um, horseradish root is another excellent compound uh, for disinfecting the nasal passages and the sinuses. It also has um, chili in it. And, yep, and plantain, that are those are both mucolytics, like we were talking about, that they help dissolve mucus and thin the secretions and disinfect them. So there's quite a quite a wide range of herbs that are used, uh, basically, be either antibacterial or mucolytic. Um, and so I would definitely get definitely give some of those a try. I wanted to get a fairly quickly in a bit here to mention onions, onion syrup. Um, it's actually a very very simple remedy. And uh, you can try that at home without buying any of our products, you know. Um, so you just get an onion and cut it into uh, eighth of an inch or thereabouts uh, slices uh, and then set them on a saucer and um, basically cover cover the onions with honey and just let the honey pull out by uh, osmotic kind of uh, pull, and pull out the actives within the onion, which are more of a kind of sulfur-containing uh, products like horseradish. Um, and take that internally, and obviously it's metabolized, but it's excreted uh, through the respiratory tract, so that will have an effect on your sinuses. Uh, I would definitely give that a go. Uh, and then also fresh horseradish is um, a very good uh, alternative. So let's get to these next callers that we've got on the air. Uh, caller, you're on the air. What's your question where are you from? Hello, I'm Andrew, Ray, and Sarah. Uh, my name is Ali. I am from BC. Um, I just wanted to ask Dr. Pete about the amazing facelift effect that he got from Pregnenolone. So I'm only in my 20s, <laughs> but I'm aging prematurely for the past few years. I haven't really figured out why, um, and the doctors don't know either, but it, the difference is very shocking. Um, and anyway, I'm trying to find a way to like reverse this and look normal again, like a young female. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just wondering if the facelift effect is a common occurrence with pregnenolone, and also is there a way to determine the safety of pregnenolone? Because I am afraid to try it because I've heard other reports of women who've taken it, and they said that they've developed like facial hair and stuff. Dr. Pete, did you okay, hear do- What was the last phase they developed? They developed facial hair. Facial hair oh, oh. Which I uh, don't think is um, possible. Uh, uh, well, yeah, if it's very impure. Uh, in recent years, I've been hearing uh, all kinds of uh, symptoms associated with using. Uh, I think it's mostly uh, from uh, new small Chinese factories that don't know how to purify it. Uh, and they're getting... Uh, symptoms like breast pain, uh, uterine contractions, uh, showing an estrogen-like effect, uh, as well as uh, uh, possibly uh, the androgen-like effect. But uh, pregnenolone, when it's pure, uh, doesn't. If a person is healthy, they can take a, a cup full of it uh, with no noticeable effect. Uh, all it does is lower the uh, stress hormones. So. Uh, until you're about 45 years old, uh, you usually don't feel anything from pure uh, pregnenolone. So 
uh, all of these symptoms that are being talked about on the uh, internet, I, I think, are evidence that there's a lot of a very impure pregnenolone going around. Okay, thank you. And, and then, is there a way to determine if pregnenolone is safe? Like, should I just get the batch tested at? Um, it costs thousands of dollars to have a, a good uh, test. So. Uh, well, you, you you can. I I do uh, fairly regularly send off uh, pregnenolone to be um, assayed by um, gas chromatography. Gas chromatography. So um, there's a lab up in Washington. There's quite a few. All you got to do is Google them. Um, but the test is about two hundred and fifty dollars. Doctor B, do you are you aware of a brand that you feel is fairly pure? Uh, no, not not for twenty years. <laughs> I wonder, oh, wow. out of okay. interest, Dr. Pete, just to mention this, like I said, I've had uh, several batches here uh, in the last two years at least tested by uh, uh, gas chromatography, and it's come back as a 99.9% pure pregnenolone. Do you think uh, when this is put into a chromatograph uh, and goes through an atomic absorption uh, spectrum calibrated machine that uh, should give you a peak, uh, if there is a peak, um, and then that defines whether or not it's pure, do you think there's any other? Uh, well, they, they should look uh, uh, for a, a very small peak for uh, estrogen uh, or uh, other steroids because one part uh, per thousand of, of, if it's estrogen, uh, can have very powerful effects. If, if you're taking uh, tens of milligrams of pregnenolone uh, and one thousandth of that is estrogen, mm. Uh, that's a powerful dose. So in general, this um, caller is asking about the facelift effect from taking pregnenolone, and she's in her 20s. What sort of dose would you think would be a safe dose to try if she feels like she has a pure product? Uh, oh, uh, it, it's safe in any amount. It, it was tested on rats in the early 1950s, and uh, the equivalent of a cupful at a time wow. had no effects at all on I've for a year, I took three or four thousand milligrams every day just mm -hmm. to test whether there were any side effects. And uh, many people in their twenties and thirties wanted to try it, and even with a heaping spoonful, none of them could feel the slightest effect. But uh, people in their late forties and fifties. Uh, those are the ones who uh, experience an overnight uh, uh, tightening up of, of their loose skin, uh, especially on their throat and over their eyes. So do you think that would be something that this 20-year-old would uh, no. benefit from? No. At, at, at that age, uh, very, very unlikely. So I what will say that I've taken pregnenolone before, like years ago, because I've been following you for a while but um, I took it, and I think I took maybe 50 milligrams, and it made me very sleepy after, and I took a nap. Um, I don't know if that's a coincidence or anything, but... Um, it, it does lower uh, cortisol if, if that is abnormally high. Okay. Interesting. All right. Well, um, thank you for all this information, all of you, and uh, thank you for the show. Thank you're, you for your welcome. call. Okay, let's take, this, let's take this next caller. Caller, you're on the air. Where are you from? And what's your question? I'm calling from Portland. 
Go ahead. And yeah. uh, my question is, does chamomile tea reduce estrogen? Chamomile tea reducing estrogen. Well, its main use is a gut anti-inflammatory, so... Um, nurse but it does have epigenin. Yeah, nurse of the gut is its... Uh, and epigenin is a known um, estrogen counter... Antagonist. Right, Dr. Pete? Right, right. Yeah. So potentially, yes, it is could be an estrogen-lowering sedative and uh, gastrointestinal calming herb. Uh, yeah, anything that makes your intestine happy is likely to uh, <laughs> re reduce estrogen effect. Uh, would there be other herbal teas that would have that effect? Uh, what kind of tea? Other herb teas? Uh, oh, um, I, I think aspirin <laughs> is the most practical general aromatase inhibitor. Yeah, and li liver, liver stimulants would certainly speed up um, liver clearance and or bowel. Um, things like cascara would certainly prevent reuptake and reabsorption of bowel uh, estrogen. Mm -hmm. uh, those are things to consider. If you're, if you're considering uh, any estrogen load you want to get rid of, then obviously excretory pathways, uh, if you can speed up the excretory pathways, that will be certainly helpful. Um, but there are other estrogen-blocking uh, agents that are probably lemon balm because it's also the essential oil in lemon balm is very calming on the gastrointestinal tract that might indirectly lower estrogen okay you're listening to ask your doctor kami de garbaville 91.1 fm uh, from now until the end of the show at 8 o'clock, you're invited to call in with questions. Uh, and the number here is 707-923-3911. So once again, 707-923-3911. So we're just going through some uh, medicinal herbs and other compounds uh, that would be useful uh, if anybody does contract COVID. Um, and or any other flus that might be circulating around yeah, as well. Or influenza or colds. I just want to say at this point in time, I know it's not indicative of the general population of the United States of America, but I only know one person in this eight months, and I didn't only, only found out about this person two weeks ago, uh, who actually just contracted COVID, and uh, I think they're getting over it pretty well. And it was actually their son who came up from a uh, meeting with other people in Southern California, a 19 or 20-year-old son, um, who actually contracted it, and he basically went and got tested. He tested positive um, and I'm not downplaying COVID-19 for, for one minute, but um, he had a day or so of feeling uncomfortable and he was back to normal. But so, yeah, I've just started to... I've always said at the beginning of this uh, quote-unquote pandemic that um, where are they? I know we see them on TV and I know they talk about uh, mass mass uh, hospitalizations and we've seen it all over Europe and I'm uh, not saying it doesn't happen, um, but it's taken a long time to come across anybody and I think there's uh, just two million people so far that have... Um, contracted it a, a proper diagnosis had problems with it i should say should look for other causes of the symptoms in some cases they're saying that if you have a positive test for the virus which in most people isn't associated with symptoms but if you have one symptom in association with a positive test they're putting that down as a, a verified uh, case of, of COVID-19 <laughs> infection. All right. Uh, but I, okay. you don't know that unless you right. get tested. <laughs> has to see if they also uh, had influenza or, or a thousand uh, other uh, agents that could cause that one sy symptom. Right. Well, and then, yeah. of course, there's people that have COVID and test negative 
or people that test positive and don't have it because the tests are unreliable at this stage as well. There's a, there's a wealth, it's a huge pool. Uh, some of it's politicized, some of it's, uh, yeah, can't go there. I guess it's just too much. Um, I just want to make sure that we do get out some of those herbal strategies uh, for uh, combating influenza and or COVID. I know the phones suddenly started going crazy there, and I think what we're going to get into perhaps is next few calls is uh, COVID-related in terms of <laughs> in terms of actualities. But I wanted to mention astragalus uh, before we take the first uh, of two callers here, because astragalus, uh, not a Chinese herb, but we use a lot of astragalus, uh, and uh, they know that from doing the studies uh, in China, especially that it uh, decreases the inflammatory cytokines uh, like tumor necrosis alpha, uh, interleukin eight. Uh, and it increases the level of anti-inflammatory cytokines uh, like interleukin-10. So therefore, it has this anti-inflammatory activity. Uh, one of those uh, herbs that they've definitely used in traditional Chinese medicine as part and parcel of a formula for treating COVID. Uh, so anyway, I guess well, let's take these next two callers. Uh, caller, you're on the air. Where are you from? And what's your question? Yeah, hi. Hello? Hello, you're yeah. on the air. Yeah, hi, Sarah, Andrew, Dr. Pete. Um, uh, of course, I have so many questions. I'll ask that. Uh, two important questions. Uh, one would be, uh, the first one would be, um, what does Dr. Pete recommend for somebody who's had cancer in the past, uh, kidney cancer, had surgery removed? Uh, what kind of diet does he recommend for somebody that, you know, mm-hmm. has uh, recovered from that? Yeah. And what was your other question, sir? And the other question was about the eucalyptus uh, humidifier. Okay. Uh, my son's had a few... Um, you know, cold or flus in the past, and uh, we always put the, the, the eucalyptus humidifier, and it's really helped. Mm-hmm. Sure. So I just wanted to get All your right. feedback. Yeah, well, let's start with the uh, kidney cancer and the diet. Dr. Pete, mm-hmm. what, would you, uh, what would you suggest if a person's had kidney cancer, been treated? Um, do you think from a dietary perspective there'd be some foods that would be uh, potentially less of a renal load, or if that's what you're even thinking about? Oh, um, uh, uh, watching... Uh, for um, intestinal inflammatory symptoms because there are a lot of uh, toxins that damage the kidneys that, that are formed mm-hmm. only in the intestine. Uh, and so keeping a clean intestine is the first uh, requirement. Uh, keeping your energy up in general uh, is essential for <clears throat> the, the immune system to work, both in the sense of preventing inflammation, uh, and also Mm -hmm. uh, resisting infection. Uh, And uh, uh, that keeping your energy up uh, involves uh, keeping your daytime uh, temperature uh, up to uh, uh, what used to be the uh, average normal uh, in recent decades. The national average temperature is decreasing, uh, but what used to be the normal uh, 37 Celsius or, or 98.6 Fahrenheit, that, that temperature is very important both for uh, preventing inflammation and for uh, increasing resistance uh, to, uh, to to cancer and other degenerative diseases and to infections. Uh, so my mother having like one kidney left, so that means she shouldn't, when it comes to digestion, so saturated fats should be like in small amounts like um you know the reminiscent cuts you recommend like even that type of food could be irritating for her so she just just, like stick more with 
you know, fruit and, you know, um, like, like what kind, like, do you recommend the meats when she has, like, one candy left or, like, what, what, what do you recommend then? Um, one of our natural hormones, which is uh, very uh, involved in kidney malfunction, is parathyroid hormone. Mm-hmm. And that uh, lowers our, our systemic uh, energy production, and, and so it uh, damages our, our immune system if that's elevated. And the two mm-hmm. things that will prevent uh, excess production of parathyroid hormone are uh, a lot of calcium in the diet relative to phosphate uh, and mm-hmm. an adequate intake of vitamin D. Uh, those are both uh, anti-inflammatory and anti-infective uh, agents uh, and protect against cancer. So the, the milk is okay for her just having one kidney? That wouldn't be too harsh on her? I, I, no, I think it's the safest thing. Uh, oh. Very uh, milk-rich diet. Going uh, relatively light uh, on phosphate-rich foods, like meat and beans are phosphate-rich foods, right? And so yeah, fa- yeah, uh, yeah. I recall. So, so yeah, the meat is high. Even if you do them on soups, like once a week, maybe that's uh, still kind of high. I, I, no, the, the you, you need a, a certain amount of iron in your diet, uh, and and so mm-hmm. uh, uh, eggs are a, a good regular source of of, of uh, iron that have a moderate amount of phosphate. I wanted to. Oh, uh, she, she, I wanted to move on to your question and about. I was like, can't eat chicken. <laughs> I wanted to move on to your question about eucalyptus, uh, sir. Just for the because uh, we do have other callers on the line that want to make sure they will get a chance to ask okay. a question. So a, a great, milk, great. Yeah. a milk, yeah, dairy rich diet uh-huh. with a low meat diet is probably going to be the mm-hmm. safest for your mother's kidney. And, and, uh, and keeping the vitamin D intake. Yeah. And keeping the vitamin D up. So and keeping her bowels moving. supplement still safe? Like it's, because I, I've heard that mixed reviews, that's not good to take D3. It's always better to just, you know, get the sunlight and try to, you know, stay as natural as possible. Uh, yeah, when you have good sun availability. Well, if you live closer to the equator as well. So, so far as well, humidification yeah, we're, and we're uh, the volatile essential oils, uh, uh, Dr. Pete. So, uh, obviously, the person's using a, dehumid- uh, a humidifier. Um, if somebody's mm-hmm. got dry, dry airways and or using volatile oils in them like eucalyptus. I, from my perspective, mm-hmm. I, I think that's totally, totally a good thing to do. Um, I know these volatile oils certainly as well uh, as the humidity for soothing some dry airways certainly has antibacterial effects, none, you know, none of which are uh, poorly written about. They're extensively written about. So most of those volatile oils uh, contain terpenes, monoterpenes, diterpenes, triterpenes, and they've all got lots of interesting activity from acti- antibacterial, uh, antiviral, uh, many, many different uh, papers written on it. And Gerard uh, Depardieu um, and others in France uh, have written fairly extensively on it. And oh, great, great. eucalyptus great. radiata is one of the nicest smelling eucalyptus essential oils to use in a humidifier like that. And something yeah. Californians so, so can find all over the place. Sorry to interrupt, but when, when, we, when you take the herbs, right, that you guys recommend, is it something that we have to wait for symptoms or that somebody could just, you know, kind of take them every other day? Or, like, I, how, how, how do you recommend the doses? I think, it's, I think it's like anything else. If you've got a good diet, that's basically the seat. Mm-hmm. That's the seat of your good health. 
And if you incorporate things into your diet which are also beneficial from a nutritive perspective, uh, that's the start of it. I would say definitely from personal experience, if you know, well, let's talk about colds and coughs and influenzas and that kind of stuff. If you know it's going around, I'm not talking about COVID, but I'm talking about, you know, well, it you, could be family, COVID, it could be any colds family, and coughs. Your family's you're gonna... had a, a coronavirus uh, incident and, you know, your grandmother or whatever, and you've been around them, and, but you don't have any symptoms, start using echinacea. Mm-hmm. Our echinacea elderberry syrup, we designed specifically yeah. for that because it has only the echinacea root and the, and the elderberry to really help boost your immune system if you know you're going to be around someone who's sick. I mean, that's how you're supposed wow. to it use echinacea. You can also use it afterwards once you do actually get sick. But they're very okay. effective in the early stages before you've um, your body's come down with yeah. it. Because it takes about 48 that's hours to transcribe uh, those factors wow. that All are responsible right. for it. If I could squeeze a quick, a quick question for Dr. Pete. Uh, uh, when a <laughs> I woman don't, starts I don't think having you can. Uh, uh, her, her symptoms start... Uh, okay. I'm sorry about that, but we've got somebody else who's been on the on the air for a while here. So let's take this next caller. Caller, you're on the air. Where are you from? What's your question? Am I on? Yeah, you're on. Go ahead. Okay, my name is Lily Macy. I'm in the Edwardsburg area. And my husband has developed, a, um, since last January, quite a bit of hypermucusness. I mean, he's got mm-hmm. so much mucus mm-hmm. that uh, if he at night he just acts like he's... Uh, drowning in it and i keep him kind of up but i'm wondering if there's an herb maybe like fenugreek or anything any kind of herb that could help to dry up that sure well first of all is it yeah first of all is it infected or is it uh no it's not infected um he did have pneumonia last january Mm -hmm. and the doctor put him he said he's got this hyper mucus situation going so he Mm -hmm. put him on mucinex which Mm -hmm. is an over-the-counter But it's not in, he's not infected. He doesn't have any sign of infection. It's just this, it's like he's drowning in mucus mm-hmm. all the time. And he, go, and, he, and he clears his throat. And Has he used an antihistamine? Has he used an antihistamine? Um, I gave him something. Well, it, it, isn't that what um, Mucinex is? Isn't that an antihistamine? No, I think that's just it's a, a mucolytic. Yeah. A mucolytic. Okay. So, so antihistamines what, what like would you um, recommend in terms of an antihistamine, like Benadryl <laughs> or diphenhydramine. Well, I did give him some Benadryl. He's really quite quite old, and um, he just did not respond well to the Benadryl. Okay. So has he tried the mucolytic herbs like? Plantain, golden seal. Not plantain, but we have tried golden seal. But we'll try that again. What do you, What do you think of fenugreek? I just yeah, I don't uh, don't have any experience or use of fenugreek in terms of uh, drying up mucus. More um, for digestion, uh, calming the digestion, and also increasing breast milk production. Yeah, as a galactic is one of the main things. But so um, plantain and fenugreek to yeah. dry up. That's all I'm trying to do is get him well, you know, so that he can definitely, sleep comfortably without. Used. Constantly clearing his throat. Well, another thing is um, cascara to keep his bowels moving really re- oh, well. Oh, believe me. <laughs> they That's move. No oh, they He's fine <laughs> okay. with that. Dr. Pete, do you have any other ideas uh, to help yeah, dry up the mucus? Yeah, uh, some of the uh, mild uh, antiseptic fibrous foods, uh, uh, such as uh, uh, raw carrot uh, or cooked uh, mushrooms or cooked bamboo shoots. Uh, he, he gets uh, that kind of food. We've been vegan 14 years, so he gets a lot of 
raw and cooked vegetables every day. Well, but specifically raw carrot can actually decrease a lot of mucus production if he has about a cup of raw carrot salad a day. And uh, raw lettuce is one of the uh, most uh, promoting uh, mucus uh, inflammatory agents. Raw, raw carrot, place. like grated carrot? No, like grated, grated carrot, but don't use any lettuce with it. Okay, just straight grated carrot? Straight I'll grated carrot, or really, really well-cooked mushrooms are another fiber that inhibits um, microorganisms and inflammation in the intestine, so then it can therefore help with the um, inflammation from the mucus, the inflammation producing the mucus. Okay. okay. All right. We better we better call that it for the thank evening. You. Just to thank make you sure. so much. Thank you for your call. Okay. So, Doctor Pete, thank you so much for your time. I'll uh, spend a couple of minutes just uh, getting people information to you and uh, a bit more information. Did you have us. anything else to finish up with, Doctor Pete? Uh, nope. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for your time. Okay, thank you. Okay, so for those people who have listened, uh, we do the shows every third Friday of the month. Uh, month. Um, what I did want to mention uh, very quickly before the last few minutes that we have, uh, first things first, Dr. Pete's website, which is raypeat.com, has got fully referenced articles uh, surrounding a wide variety of conditions that are treated uh, naturally, scientifically, with uh, documented uh, case reports, etc., and or uh, verified references. So um, go take a look at his website. Uh, our website is westernbotanicalmedicine.com. Um, I wanted to mention those other few things that I never got around to talking about for uh, treating uh, excessive mucus and or for improving the ciliary escalator. Um, I mentioned onion syrup for that lady, um, and then the other syrup, which uh, we don't really see too much of it here in America, um, is coltsfoot and coltsfoot flowers. Same thing, using coltsfoot flowers. Uh, I know probably places like Mountain Rose Herbs still sell them, um, but in England they're still pretty popular because I think Albania is one of the main countries they're coming out of right now. But I'm making a syrup from coltsfoot flowers. And then a marshmallow leaf, uh, just working as a reflex demulcent in the gut to stimulate respiratory demulcency and thin watery secretions that people can cough up uh, mucus. I wanted to mention frankincense. Uh, obviously everyone knows frankincense for obvious reasons. Uh, but boswellic acid is a substance there which is responsible uh, for the anti-inflammatory effect. Uh, via the enzyme 5-lipoxygenase, and I didn't get a chance to ask Dr. Pete about this, but um, basically promotes the formation of leukotrienes, and these are a, an important group of inflammatory mediators in the body, but boswellic acid actually binds uh, and structurally changes in the active site of 5-lipoxygenase and uh, also inhibits, inhibits this enzyme, and instead of catalyzing it, synthesis into pro-inflammatory leukotrienes, 5-lipoxygenase produces anti-inflammatory substances, uh, by initiating this change under the influence of boswellic acid. So simply put, frankincense uh, in its own right can change the inflammatory enzyme into an anti-inflammatory enzyme. So it's not a good uh, thing to remember about frankincense. And then woad, woad root. I know the Chinese use uh, woad root, and in England it's pretty famous uh, from the ancient Picts and Celts. Uh, but the root of woad, which is Isatis uh, tinctoria, definitely used, has uh, antibiotic and antiviral activity uh, inhibits the hemagglutinins uh, in the blood and uh, inhibits the viral neuraminidase uh, amongst other activities. So two are the potential antivirals. Um, and then obviously we didn't get around to mentioning aspirin, but aspirin, definite, very, very inexpensive, very easy to get, uh, anti-inflammatory, antiviral, 
Uh, it's plenty of evidence showing it's inhibiting viral replication. It's got an antiplatelet activity, obviously, uh, and works definitely in acute lung injury, one of those things to remember. Um, so until we are on the show uh, in December, third Friday of December, uh, thank you for your time, and uh, those people that called in, thank you. My name's Sarah Johannesson-Murray. Thank you very much for listening. My name's Andrew Murray. Thank you. And support comes from the Redwood Coast Energy Authority, which wants the community to know there are a variety of resources to help customers pay their bills, find the right rate plan, and manage their energy use during the current crisis. Visit redwoodenergy.org for complete details or call 707-269-1700 for more information. And Chautauqua Natural Foods in Garberville is offering curbside pickup Monday through Friday. You can call 